0: This is a reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that, You don't know how you got into, and you are not quite sure how you were going to get out of either. A few months ago, we had a a brainstorming meeting for the Christmas season here at Three Crosses, and so all these ideas were coming to the table, and I was in a mood where I was just saying yes to everything, right? You ever get in a mood like that? Because all the ideas were great, right? We should do a tree lighting? Yes, absolutely, We should do an Advent devotional? Great idea. Do it. Make it online? Do it, right? Yes, yes, yes. You want to put up street lights with a little Merry Christmas? Do it. Put up the lights on the pizza oven. Great. Go, go. Do it all. One of the things that I said yes to was an activity where Buzz Hannon, one of our pastors and I, would sit down and talk about Christmas while eating increasingly spicy chicken wings. I was just in a yes mood, right? It sounded like a good idea. And then I get this calendar request on my phone, like, bloop, chicken wings. Like, chicken, oh, chicken wings. We had a staff Christmas lunch. Then afterwards, we're going to go back and do this little activity, like fun little team building exercise. And I'm looking on the calendar request. There's all these names on it, right? So I I talked to David, who was planning the whole thing. I'm like, David, what what are all these names for? He said, oh, well, this seems like it'll be a fun thing to invite a bunch of our staff to, to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it, right? I started getting nervous. I'm like, tell me about these chicken wings. Like, I like chicken wings. Like, how spicy are they? He's like, well, it's just increasingly spicy wings, right? So the first one, it's sriracha. He's like he gets all technical. It's like it's two thousand Scoville units. Oh, okay, very good. So the next one's this like truffle hot sauce. It's three thousand Scoville units. So just fifty percent hotter than sriracha. I'm like, well, I can handle sriracha. I eat it all the time. We'll be good. I'm like, what about the last two? And he pauses. He says, well, you know, it kind of takes a leap after there. I'm like what? Five thousand? Ten thousand? It's like, the last two are 1.5 and 2 million Scoville units. I'm like, no problem. No, pro- I mean, no problem, right? I remember, like, Pastor Larry repelled from the ceiling. Remember that? Like, he was in the donk tank, right? If Larry can, I can eat a chicken wing. No problem, right? it will be fun. Our staff will love it, right? And so I, I show up in this little room, and I'm sweating already. And I brought, like, my milk and my yogurt to, like, make it, like, not as spicy and and I open the door and Buzz is sitting there. There's like three cameras set up, all these lights, all these staff people and these wings on the table. And this is like one minute of, of what, what I experienced. This is getting real hot real quick. It's getting fiery like a furnace. Is there a question about the fiery furnace in there? This is well, not fun. Welcome to Hot Theology. This is the show where I interview pastors over ridiculously spicy chicken wings. Danny, how would you say you are with spicy food? I am, I like spicy food. I've lost, literally lost sleep over this. meeting eating it. I touched my lips. Oh, it's getting hotter and hotter right it. I resigned, I move back. That is so hot. <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> everyone wonder what pastors do at work. That's what we do at work. Yeah, geez. So if you're interested, there's a 12-minute video coming out on Facebook and Instagram after third service today. But uh, I feel like Christmas is the time of year that you end up having to do things that you don't want to do because you're supposed to do them, right? You have to show up at your weird aunt's house if you're a kid and have dinner and pretend like you know all these people and they're all pinching your cheeks, right? And every Christmas movie that happens. You got to go and endure this or that. You have the office party and that office party. You go to this dinner and that dinner, right? Christmas seems to be the time of year that we find ourselves in these situations that we think, why Why am I here right now doing this? You ever had one of those moments where you have this great idea for uh, one of your kids for Christmas and so you order this bike or whatever it is and it ships from China or wherever it comes from and just sits in the box in your closet until Christmas Eve. You're like, oh, I should probably put this together. And you open it up, and there's like 500,000 pieces to this gift, and it's midnight. Dang, can I just give my kid a box for Christmas? Can I just tell him, you know what? I'm going to give this one up to Santa. Let Santa bring. We'll see what Santa brings instead, right? But instead, you sit on the floor, you open these instructions, and they're in Chinese, and you don't speak Chinese, and you got to figure this thing out. And last week, as we started diving a little more deeply into the Christmas story, we realized that part of what Christmas has been since the very beginning is people finding themselves in very difficult situations that make no logical sense. Or we have Mary, who's this young girl, blindsided by the grace of God, and God says, you're about to be pregnant with my baby. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever you say, God. We're talking about Elizabeth, who's been barren, Zechariah, who's not been able to have children, and the angel shows up and says, in your old age, I'm going to provide a child for you, and Zechariah has to wrestle with the depths of his discouragement historically against God in that moment and think, okay, this is where we are now. And along the way, we started talking about the fact that in Christmas time, a lot of us, for some reason, end up going through these seasons that we're just thinking, I don't want to be in this season right now. I don't want to be going through this hard time in my family right now. I don't want to be planning a memorial service. It's Christmas. I don't want to be grieving right now. I don't want to experience this holiday without that loved one we had with us last year. I just, I don't want to do Christmas this year. And some of us are in that exact scenario where we think, I I don't know how I got into all this, and I don't know how I'm going to get out, but here's where I am, and everyone's singing Christmas songs and being merry. And I just want to go take a nap and wake up in January. <laughs> and as I read these stories, my heart goes out <laughs> to someone like Joseph. Right? Joseph hears this news that his fiance is pregnant. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not his child that's going to be born from Mary's womb. And so he's got this complicated wrestling match going on in his own soul. And he has to discover in this text, what's he going to do? What what is he? What pathway is he going to walk down, when the cards that God has dealt him don't don't seem at any level to be what he ever anticipated? He's reaping what someone else has sown. He's he's got to figure out what a godly man's supposed to do in a situation like that. You now the question that I want to wrestle with today, and if you're taking notes, you can write down this question: Is what does godliness look like when life gets complicated? What does it mean? Think about the scenario that you're in, or your friend's in, or you're trying to coach someone through, and you're trying to help them do something godly, make the right decision, but life is so complicated, it's not black and white. You look at the instruction manual, and it's in Chinese, right? You don't understand what to do in this scenario. So that's the question we're going to ask as we look at Joseph's story in Matthew chapter 1. If you haven't turned there, you can turn there now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. As we look at Joseph's story, I think we need to understand that there are a lot of things in life where there is no instruction manual, <laughs> where there, there is no black and white answer. We always think, well, we have the Bible. The Bible's like our instruction manual. But have you ever gone through a situation in life that was so complicated that when you read the Bible, you couldn't find the answer? Like you're looking in the index. It's not there. You're reading through all the normal pages. It's not there. You look at the texts that relate to your issue, and you still don't have a clear answer, that happens, and I have to feel that that's how Joseph felt when he hears word of what's happened to his fiancée, Mary. In those times, the way that marriage worked was not now, like now where you date, and then you find someone, and you get engaged, and you wait like 75 years or whatever it is, and you get married. Back then, marriage was this thing where your parents kind of brokered the deal and they figured it out. They signed the contract. Now you're legally engaged to be married and you're waiting until the preparations are done so you can step into the formal agreement. And so in the midst of these contracts, right, he's, he's already signed it. The parents have made the deal. He's engaged to this woman. Marriage is coming. He receives word that something has happened in his fiance's life that would be terrifying to anyone who's engaged to someone, to hear these news. And this is how Matthew says it. It says, this is the way that the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. There are like seven layers of complicated things happening in this one verse. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be Joseph... Before the angel has told him what's happening, trying to wrestle with that. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be Joseph after the angel tells him what's happening to wrestle with that. He's got to go to his parents and say, Mom, Dad, I got some news about my fiance. She's pregnant. No, it's not mine. It's not mine. No, trust me. It's not mine. I can tell you for sure it's not mine. And I was going to divorce her. I was going to break the contract. But I was thinking, I had this dream last night. And in my dream, an angel showed up and told me it was God's baby and I should keep it and raise it as my own. And it's going to be amazing. So I think we're going to stay together and let it all work out. Like, what would you do if your 15-year-old told you that? Hey, my girlfriend's pregnant. It's not my baby. But I had a dream and, and an angel told me it was God's baby. So we're just going to stick with it, get married, see what happens. You're like, I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. Like, God told me. It's like, I don't care what God told you. God didn't tell me and I'm your parent. Get out of here, right? That's... This is the real story that Joseph has to wrestle through Is he's got these unchartered waters to wade through in his life. He's just blindsided by this news. And there are a lot of situations in our lives that we have to make a really hard decision. And it's really hard to know what the godly thing is to do. I don't know if you've had a situation like this, but imagine you have an adult child who's been struggling with addiction for a long, long time. And you've gone through those seasons where you've tried to give them love. You've gone through the seasons where you've tried to give them comfort. You've tried those seasons where you've tried to yell at them, right? You've tried everything, right? But they keep cycling through the same issue over and over and over again. And you get to these places and you think, is it time for me to demonstrate the tough love? Do I have you hit rock bottom? Do I just keep bringing you in? Or is that enabling you, right? And you're wrestling through all this. And all your friends have different input, And you have no idea what to do. And so you go to the Scriptures, and the Scriptures say you should love people. But then the Scriptures talk about discipline and parenting. And there are so many ways you can spin this. And all you want is for your kid to have a healthy life. But you have no idea what God is calling you to do in this moment. You know, last week we talked about some of us that are walking through really hard situations. You've got someone that you love who's betrayed you deeply. And you know the Bible talks about forgiveness? You know, the Bible talks about reconciliation. You know, the Bible talks about all these different things. But when you look at that through the lens of your own scenario, you realize that's a lot more complicated than you used to think when you gave other people advice about the same thing. How do you forgive someone who's not sorry? How do you confront someone who's just blind to the whole thing that they're caught up in? What does reconciliation look like when the person's still actively rebelling against God and you and they won't listen to reason? And so the Bible tells you what to do. But now you've got to wrestle with, well, how do I apply the Bible to my own scenario about, about this? You've got a friend doing something stupid. You try to confront your friend, and it blows up in your face. And they, they say, you're not my friend if you're going to tell me what to do with my life. You're like, whoa, man, like you're destroying yourself. You're destroying your family. You're destroying your community. And it turns into this thing. And now you're wondering, do I settle back in and say, hey, I'm sorry. I just want to be your friend. Let's be friends again. Or do you hold your ground? Do you stop being friends with them? Do you change your approach? What do you do? Sometimes life is real complicated. And the Bible gives us these principles that help us navigate how to make godly decisions. But sometimes the Bible doesn't speak explicitly to the complicated scenario that you're facing. And the Bible doesn't say a lot about what to do when your fiance is pregnant with the Holy Spirit's baby. And so Joseph's in that same boat. And he's wrestling I love how Matthew draws out. He considers these things. He's a normal human being. He has to wrestle with all the options. We know that he's a godly man, and there's a lot of things that he could do in this scenario and still be a godly man, right? He's probably not going to be the guy who who destroys his fiance. He's probably not going to be the guy who tries to cover the whole thing up or terminates the pregnancy. He's not going to be that guy, but I mean, the Bible says that if someone is caught in a relationship, like an adulterous relationship, there are some, some big things you can do. Mary could be killed. She could be exorcised from her community. He could just pretend like nothing ever happened, right? Joseph could play the martyr and be like, let's not talk about this. We'll pretend like it's my baby. I'll raise it as my own. We'll take the shame, right? He could do that. Matthew says that as Joseph considers it, he says, because Joseph, Mary's husband, was, a faith, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I love the way I love everything about this verse. It's like he, this is what he had in mind, right? There's no rule book. I think I'm gonna do it this way. And what we see as we look at, at this verse 19 here is. It's three, three or four different ways that Joseph is processing this as someone who is trying to honor God. And I want to draw these things out because if you are dealing with a scenario that's really hard in your life, I think these are three principles that you can apply to your own life. Number one, we see that Joseph in this verse is a godly man. That's where it starts. He's a righteous man. He's faithful to the law. He wants to do the right thing. Right, if you're in a situation that's complicated, start with that. Right? What's the right thing? What does God say to do? What does the Word say about that? What principles from the Scripture is going to draw out? Start with godliness. Right? Don't run away from the Bible and say, I'm going to figure this one out. Don't go rogue. Right, If you're about to go rogue, don't. Start with this. He was godly. Do the right thing. Do the godly thing. <laughs> but doing the right thing, doing the godly thing, was not black and white for Joseph. And so one thing I also notice about his processing is he was godly, but he was not dogmatic. I think there's a lot of godly, righteous people out there that when someone sins, they look to all those judgment passages in the Bible and want to call down judgment on the people that have wronged them. Joseph's a godly guy, but at the same time, he's not the guy who says, well, the scripture says she should be murdered, so let's murder her. Let's get it over with, right? He was godly, but he was processing. He wasn't dogmatic. And the third thing, which I, I was really struck with, as I looked at Joseph's story this week, is that he wanted to respond in a way that preserved Mary's dignity as much as possible. There's a lot of godly options Joseph could have taken. the Have my fiancé killed, make a public spectacle option. The like, let's just break this thing off and let everyone know that I did nothing wrong option. But Matthew draws out that Joseph, because he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He wanted to navigate the situation in a way that was faithful to God's law, but preserved Mary's dignity as much as possible. Which I think is beautiful. And if you're wrestling with an issue in your life, that's a a trifecta that you can lean into. Do the godly thing. Don't do the dogmatic, angry, religious thing. I think about how do I do the right thing in the way that preserves the dignity even of the offending party. In Joseph's mind, Mary had cheated on him. It's like, you know what? She cheated on me, but I'm gonna navigate this in a way that's quiet. She'll have to stand before God for her own thing, whatever it is, but I'm not gonna make a spectacle out of her. It's God's job to judge, not mine. Let's just break this thing off, move on with our lives, and do it humbly. I've been in this senior pastor role for a year or so now, almost a year, and I think one of the things that that has struck me the most about what's beautiful about our church family, is that I have met with a ton of people this year who have gone through really hard things and are processing through really deep, dark issues in their own lives and trying to wrestle with what to do when there are uncharted waters, what to do when there's no rule book, what to do when it's not black and white. And I am struck with how often people in our church who have been wronged greatly by offending parties have chosen to do the right thing In a way that preserves the dignity of the person who ruined their life. I just think it's beautiful. People whose husbands have done terrible things to them, people who are victims of domestic violence, people who are victims of abuse in terms of adultery, people who are going through rough issues with betraying friends, right? All of these different issues that we talk about and more who said, you know what, I think the right thing for me to do is to leave this person. I think the right thing for me to do is to create some space. I think the right thing for me to do is to break this thing off and and let them deal with their issues before we talk about restoration on their own with their counselor or whatever. I think that's the right thing to do, but I'm going to do it quietly. I I have no desire to drag them through the mud. I have no desire to make them into a public spectacle. Listen, they're in the wrong, and if God's going to deal with them, he's going to deal with them. The truth will come out, but it's not my job to punish this person. It's my job to do the right thing, but I just want to be humble, As I walk through that, I think it's so beautiful when someone chooses to do the godly, non-dogmatic, humble thing. I love that example we see in Joseph of someone who knows what he has to do. but In his heart, he's not looking to drag Mary's name through the mud. He just wants to do the right thing and let God work out the details and move on with his life. I'm struck at Joseph's story that God lets him make a decision before an angel shows up and tells him, by the way, here's God's plan. And I'm struck in Joseph's life that when Joseph makes a decision, it's actually not what God ultimately wants him to do, but he's commended for his righteousness, even though the decision he made was not ultimately God's will. It's like God is saying, Joseph, you've made a good decision with the information you had. You're a righteous person. And then an angel shows up and says, okay, now here's really what to do. And he says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But then, after he would considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been in a situation that's really complicated, this is the moment that you've prayed for. God, just please, just send an angel to me. Just tell me what to do. There's no rule book here. I, I feel like it's time to kick my kid out of the house, but I'm terrified. God, is that really the right thing? If an angel could show up even in a dream, that would be amazing. God, I'm dealing with this decision. It's hard. I don't know which way to turn. Like I'm going to go down the street, God, and I'm going to pray that if I turn the corner, I'm going to see a street sign that has your will on it. Just paint it up there, right? I'm looking for sky riders in the sky. I'm looking for an audible voice from the heavens. God, just please tell me what to do because if you tell me what to do, I'll do it. But I have no idea how to do this unless you tell me what to do. And then God tells Joseph, here's what to do. But the thing that God tells Joseph to do is harder than the thing that Joseph thought God was telling him to do. And when you think about what God's actually telling Joseph to do, like, hey, don't be worried. The baby's mine. I've produced the baby in Mary through my Holy Spirit. It's, It's a thing. Like, read the Old Testament. It's coming. Now, take her home as your wife. It'll be fine, right? And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why does the angel say, don't be afraid? because this is terrifying, right? Because if he brings Mary home as his wife, he's going to have to start telling the story of what happened, and it sounds crazy. Oh yeah, this is my fiance, she's pregnant. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit's baby, it's a whole story. An angel showed up to both of us, and we're walking in that, right? The thing that God ultimately tells Joseph to do is a thing that is the right thing to do, it's the godly thing to do, it's from God's perspective what to do. But it's the option that's going to bring shame upon Joseph and Mary in the meantime, right? If Mary would have just quietly gone off to the country, lived with her cousin, delivered the baby, given it up for adoption, come on back, hit the reset button on life, no one would have known. If Joseph would have just divorced Mary, let her go on with her life, deal with whatever issues she was gonna deal with, and then he found a new wife and moved on, right? This would be a little blip in his story of the time he was engaged and got cheated on, right? But it's... At the end of the day, he, he's a good guy. He did the right thing. But the story that God actually calls them to walk in is the scariest story. It's the story where they're going to have to walk in a truth that only God has revealed to a community to whom God has not yet revealed that truth. They're going to have to endure all this ridicule, all this shame, all this gossip, all of these People, like you know, religious people, people with all these opinions about what they should have done and how they're being dumb and how they made a wrong decision and how they're crazy to think an angel spoke to them. That's the pathway God is setting before them to walk. Not merely the pathway that preserves the dignity of the offending party. God is calling them to walk a pathway that's going to heap shame upon themselves because God wants to do something through them. I right, look at the story. I think that's hard. Right, some of you have felt compelled by God to to walk a pathway that's brought shame on yourself.'ve right, you've, you've been done the Joseph thing. An angel didn't show up. And as you wrestle with the Lord and talk to wise counsel, you realize, like Joseph, I think I need to depart from this relationship. And it's time to break it off with this unhealthy person who's abused me in this way, who have gone against me in this way. I think that's what God is calling me to do. And you said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And you started to walk in the way that God had revealed for you to walk. And then you start getting all the comments from the religious people. Well, I thought God hates divorce. And here you are, divorcing your husband just because he cheated on you. Or you haven't told them what's happened behind closed doors in your home And so they have all these opinions without all the right information about what's going on and what you should have done. And now you're the object of shame in your community, even though you're the one who was abused greatly by this person. And you're humble. And so you just walk this pathway where you get all this abuse heaped on you from a Christian community around you. Because since you've decided not to drag someone through the mud, they don't know the whole story. And so now you're the object of ridicule. That's hard you decide that it's time to show some tough love to your kid who just keeps in this cycle of addiction. You think he's going to die unless I kick him out of the house, right? And your counselor says it's time. Your church says it's time. Your small group says it's time. And you're terrified of what's going to happen to your kid if you kick him out on the streets and he doesn't recover from his illness, his mental illness or his addiction or whatever it is that's plagued him for so long and he won't do the right thing. But you say, you know what? I think it's time to let him hit rock bottom and pray that God reaches him there like the prodigal in the story. So you kick him out. And then the comments begin. What kind of mom sends her kid out on the streets? I thought you're Christians. Aren't you supposed to show hospitality? You let him live in his car? What kind of parent would allow a child to go through something like that? I thought you loved your son and it hits everything in you because you love him so deeply. But you're doing this this hard thing because you felt like this is what God's calling you to do—to extend love. And so the pathway that God has put you on is a pathway where shame is heaped on you from others, and yet the reason you chose this pathway is because you want to see this person you love experience restoration and health, and this is your last resort. As I think about the pathway that God calls Joseph and Mary to walk in in the story, one thing that strikes me is it's a pathway that God himself is very willing to walk on the earth himself. God is calling Joseph and Mary to become the object of shame and ridicule in order to bring Jesus into the world. But you know what Jesus does when he enters the world? He becomes himself the object of shame and ridicule and hatred. Everyone hurls insults at him. Everyone tries to take him down. Everyone tells him that he's doing the wrong thing. Everyone tells him that he's crazy. Everyone calls him a heretic. Everyone turns on him and puts him to death on a cross. And yet Jesus came to this earth to receive shame and ridicule from everyone so that he might redeem them through his obedience to the Father. I think one of the biggest things I learned in this story is that one of the godliest things a person can do is to be willing to endure shame and ridicule for the redemption of others. And some of the reason that we don't make the hard, good, right decision is because of what kind of reputation we'll gain from our community if we show tough love or if we do this thing that God has compelled us to do. But when you look at God himself, he models a lifestyle where everyone is heaping up abuse and shame on him. And he takes it because he's trying to redeem the people in the world. I'm not saying that it's your lot in life to receive abuse in a dangerous way from someone in your home or, or those kinds of things. What I'm saying is That sometimes it's okay to do like Joseph and walk away from someone, show some tough love to someone, to be willing to do the right thing, to be willing to follow the Lord, even if people who don't know what's going on can heap shame in their ignorance on you. That's what we see Joseph willing to do, and then that's what we see Joseph commissioned to do as the angel says, okay, now do this, and it's going to be hard for you, but I'm going to bring redemption to the world through the child that you're going to raise, It's a really complicated scenario that Joseph faces, but at the end of the day, as we look at this text, it's it's relieving to me to see how simple, in a way, Joseph's wrestling match is. As we look at Matthew 1, there's only two finite verbs that Joseph does in this uh, text here. Number one, after considering the options, Joseph resolves to do the right thing. So that's one verb. He resolves. He takes in all this information. There's all these crazy pathways he could take. There's no instruction manual. But he says, you know what? I've thought about it. Here's my resolution. I'm going to divorce Mary quietly. He resolves. That's his one verb. The second verb that we see Joseph walking in is that after hearing from the Lord, he obeys. That's it. Those two things are the only things we see Joseph doing in this passage. He finds himself in a complicated situation, considers the options, resolves. And then God shows up. He obeys. And I feel like this can be a very magical way for you to live your life, right? Complicated situation comes up. Consider your options. Talk to folks in your Christian circles. Talk to a pastor. Talk to your counselor. Talk to the people in your life who God has placed there to help you make wise decisions and then make a resolution. I'm going to do this. And if God ever shows up and says, do this, obey him. That's it. Consider the options. Resolve to do the godly thing. When God shows up and speaks, obey him. Do what he says. Some of you are in situations that you feel like are so complicated, but they're not. Because God's word is very clear about what you should do. So skip the top one. Just do the second one. I don't know what to do. I love my wife, but I love my mistress too. Okay, that's not complicated. God speaks. You're married. Obey him, right? That's a simple one. So so don't feel like you're in a complicated situation or you're not. But when you're in a complicated situation, consider the options. Make a resolution. And when God speaks, whether it's through an angel from heaven or simply through his word or as a principle out of the gospel message that we believe, obey him. Do what he says and see what he does through the work that he wants to do in your life. And if anyone ever asks you to eat one million Scoville units wings, (laughs) don't. Don't. Let me pray for us and we'll respond in worship.